Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I am joined by UK editor, John Harrington. Hi. So this week we are taking a diversion from the doom and gloom of recent weeks to talk about UK agencies spreading their wings and opening overseas. This summer has seen a number of openings from the Romans and jargon PR in Dubai, while in recent years a whole host of agencies from Manifest, Smarts, Rise at Seven and Milk and Honey have also opened up shops in a number of other countries. We are joined by two very special guests. Warren Johnson, founder of leading creative agency W Communications, whose clients include Adidas, Spotify and Unilever. And Anushka Menzies from leading luxury agency Bacchus PR, whose clients include Diageo, Rosewood Global and Chelsea Barracks. We've invited Anushka and Warren onto the show, who've both been leading global expansion plans to discuss what strategies they put in place and what advice they'd give to other agencies considering this path. W's global expansion started in 2015 when the agency opened offices in Singapore and it subsequently opened offices in Amsterdam and most recently in New York. Bacchus opened an office in New York in 2017 and have recently added an office in Dubai at the beginning of this year. So Warren, to you first, why did you choose to open offices overseas? Um, I had always wanted, I mean, I'm quite ambitious uh, as I've probably been quite public about, but, um, I never really had a desire to sort of plant a flag in any particular territories. Um, and so the places we opened have, um, have sort of found us, um, our first place was in Singapore, um, which if I'm honest, I didn't really know too much about. Um, and it, it kind of found us because I had one of my, uh, my, in fact, my original employee had taken a sabbatical um, around Southeast Asia. And every time she spent more than two weeks anywhere, I sort of phoned her up and harassed her and suggested that we um, open an office there. 
Um, and by some strange coincidence, by the time she alighted in Singapore, we did actually have a, a sort of possible client there. It was a restaurant um, that I was an investor in called Meat Liquor, which was doing a JV over here with a big restaurateur. And so the opportunity we had was that the restaurateur wanted uh, to partner with us as a JV to roll out a very hospitality-led offer. Um, my big problem was how we would service it. Um, and we'll come on to talk about that later because I, I, I think having kind of trusted lieutenants that can execute in exactly the way that you've built the agency to do is 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 absolutely paramount. And so I had Annabelle Fox, um, who's who's um, still with me today, um, who opened for us, um, and that was it. We kind of had very little idea what we were doing, but we had a couple of clients. Um, we had someone on the ground, um, and we had a lot of a lot of ambition and quite a thick skin. And then off we went, and then we just celebrated our seventh anniversary. Uh, on Friday, uh, we're a team of sort of 20 plus and, and actually our, our client list is is really quite extraordinary here now. So we work with the likes of Chanel, Don Perignon. Um, I was I was down at the McLaren uh, garage uh, shooting some content um, with our social team. So really incredible, quite kind of luxe, luxe client list over here. And it's also given me the opportunity to invest in, um, in three separate restaurants, um, all of which opened during lockdown and I was able to visit um, over the weekend for the first time. Congratulations. It sounds like a great success. Did that translate also to the openings in Amsterdam and New York? And was it a similar sort of journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at exploiting opportunities. Um, so Amsterdam was less successful. Starwood Hotels um, asked us to set up over there when we opened the W for them. And the, there was a kind of legacy team that we'd created on the ground. Um, as, as, as the, the, the reputation for Amsterdam is that it's this sort of huge creative center and yeah, every kind of cool hip brand in the world is, is, is sort of based there. And whilst that may well be the case, um, we, we, we struggle to identify a lot of that business. So we tend to use Amsterdam now as a sort of Benelux um, market that sits alongside a kind of wider um uh, you know, kind of EMEA network that that we offer. So I would definitely say that was one of our lesser successful um, openings. New, New York followed a quite similar opportunistic pattern, which is um, employee number two after Annabelle, which was Gemma McAloon, um, who's been with, with me for 13 years now, um, wanted to move out there and um, she had an American boyfriend. And so really this was a New York office, was a very... Uh, elaborate, costly um, gold carriage clock for long service to her. Um, I'd always said that I didn't want to open New York. I've seen it. It's really difficult. It's really, really hard. I've seen um, a few of my peers do well. So people like Anushka and, and Fergus at Purple um, and Nicola um, and Mission all did brilliantly, but they, were, I think, had a slightly more focused uh, approach and better global connectivity. I think a lot of the more kind of creative consumer shops that have gone out there with less differentiation and less network have failed. And I'd probably put us into that category. Um, so we decided to focus really tightly on launching British clients over there who wanted to sort of break America. And, and as a result, not really compete domestically um, and just offer it as a sort of strategic staging post for, for British brands that, that have often had their fingers burnt by, by US agencies because it's a, it's a very different 
um, industry that I'm sure Anushka will come on to share a few of her uh, her war stories as well. But it's different, you know, and it's it's not better or worse. It's just it's just different, um, and they're different. So we that that's what we've been doing, and and we built out some some really great clients. One of our big founding clients is British Airways. Um, we we reopened their um, London to New York route as our sort of second ever project, um, and now we've been looking at you know really building clients in London who who want to scale over there. As as we grow, we're we're starting to compete domestically, but we're not we're not pushing that hard. We're we're still kind of staying quite true to our sort of what we're referring to as a little London offer um, over there, and it's playing quite well with clients. Yeah, I think America has always been a bit of a tough nut to crack from for agencies, you know, for the last 10 to 15 years. So I totally understand why you've gone for that strategy. Anushka, similar sort of journey for you or not? Um, perhaps not as sort of, I don't know, I hadn't, a bit like Warren, I hadn't necessarily wanted to go and open lots of different agencies. Yes, I'm also ambitious and enjoy expansion. And that's what really excites me. Um, I've also become more and more conscious, I have to say, with age, how the agency is not about me, it's about my staff. And when you open other offices, the excitement, the fact that they could be going over there to work there, especially for the junior members, is a massive thing. What happened with us was we had a lot of clients um, that were not necessarily UK-based businesses, but you know had started in Europe, for example, and were going to America. And, you know, I went off and found what I had been told or what I researched were the best agencies. And the biggest issue for us, because my business partner, Charlotte, our creative director, is a fully fledged creative. She doesn't do communications. She does event production, you know, film production. So it's all under one roof. We, I found what was very frustrating in America, the fees, um, and they only did press or they only did influencer or they only did celebrity, or if we wanted partnerships, that was another fee. At which point you're looking at $40,000 a month for a PR campaign, which was ludicrous. And what I'm talking very much about Manhattan here, and of course there are great agencies. There are great Manhattan-born agencies. But if you look at someone like Rubenstein, where every decent press practitioner pretty much in any agency will have either been to Rubenstein or Nadine Johnson before they branch out, it felt quite old-fashioned. And their MO was quite old-fashioned. And being very impatient, um, I was like, this is ridiculous. We're going to open. So similar to Warren, I had a wonderful girl, Cara Chapman, who had worked with me for many years. She decided to go to New York. I was scratching my head at the time. She worked for an agency for four years. So she had the local knowledge. She had the desire to be based in New York. Um, And so we started together. And it was very... My other partners were like, what are you doing? Have you thought this through? And like most things that I do, I'm not like, I work on instinct. I was like, it's okay, we'll make it work. And friends like Ben Elliott were saying, they'll never give you those big contracts. They talk a lot, but you'll never close them. But I was very lucky. I had a network of very good American friends in hospitality that I had known. One of them started The Well, um, which is an incredible wellness center. Um, And lots of people started endorsing us and recommending us. So I have them to thank. And that's how the business grew. I don't want to replicate London. I don't want 60 people in New York. Um, We're about 20 um, great practitioners. And funnily enough, it's less sort of restaurant based, which is where I started originally. It's much more wellness, hospitality, property. Um, but, you know, different markets require different things. 
And then Dubai, it was almost impossible not to. Every brand we work with from a hospitality perspective will be opening in the GCC. Um, I mean, I don't think there is a brand that isn't. Um, and so they were all saying, you know, especially the American brands. So the American brands are opening in the GCC, but they don't necessarily culturally understand it. And I'm so old, I grew up in the 70s when half the girls came to school with me. So I'm very relaxed with the culture and how it works. So Dubai was also out of necessity, but I'd say the, the differences are the staffing in America is very challenging. They're used to, you know, changing jobs every three months, which was another issue I had with a lot of the agencies we were working with. I'd have a different account manager every month and I'd have to rebrief them and no one knew what I was talking about. So the agency culture we've massively invested in to retain our staff. I mean, we have staff like Warren, you know, that have been with us for decade, two decades even, um, in London. And we very much want that. We have American staff that join our agency that are surprised by the culture, by the amount of holidays we give, by the investment in training. Um, I, I think that culture may have been a little broken in New York, and that's why there are so many freelancers. Whereas in Dubai, there's a pool of really talented people that are desperate to work and learn from kind of maybe older agencies like ours. So it sounds like you've both had a really interesting and exciting journey going into different markets, but there will have been challenges along the way, I'm sure, and probably moments you thought, oh, gosh, was this the right thing to do? I hadn't quite expected this. What, what, Warren, what do you think the biggest challenges have been? Probably staffing and having that anchor person sounded like one of the most important things to land first. Yeah, I mean, it's so fundamental that it's not really a challenge because if you don't have that person, then there's you're not in business. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have considered even trying to identify what the challenges are unless I'd got that person in place. Um, for me, the biggest challenges were really quite, quite nuanced cultural differences that made a huge, you know, huge, just how, like, how different cultures want things presented, you know, how certainly in Asia, people don't say no, they don't like to give you bad news. So, you, um, you know, if you, it, it, we made lots of mistakes in pitching. We did. We were overly elaborate in, in terms of how our use of PowerPoint. There were lots of little things like that, which meant the first six months were a disaster. We never won a pitch, um, and it was just little, you know, ways of engagement. And suddenly, you just make a few little changes. You still keep the DNA and the philosophy, but it's just the the, the nuance of language, the nuance of presentation. Suddenly, you go from a really low win rate to a hundred percent win rate. But it's just little things like that. Um, and I, I guess you know some of the stuff Anushka was mentioning about about the the US um that that that's really hard it's a really brutal market uh and you've got to be tough you know you've got to be really tough to 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 deal with the lack of loyalty of staff which is is ingrained culturally and contractually you know they're on two weeks notice um and that that's tough you know so it's 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 adapting your mindset to to different markets um and i'm sure Nush can confirm this as well it, as the head of the business it's you, you've got to be able to prepare to work on all of the time zones all of the time and that's that's tough you know that's i i was in la last week and i'm in singapore which is a 17 hour time difference swing um so oh, Warren, you know, i feel my, so sorry for you <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if I was holidaying, it would be fine. But when you have to get straight off the plane and work and be 
like as impressive as I as I can be um, immediately. That's it's tiring. So that, I love it. I mean, I think the other message is, is don't open internationally unless you love traveling, and which I do. I'm sure Nishka does as well. It's it's exciting. And if you don't find you know business travel, even you know when I'm moaning now, a privilege and and fun, then it's it's definitely not for you. And do you feel that you actually need to be on a plane given the new Zoom world? I hate Zoom. So yes. Yes, your carbon footprint's not going to be that nice, is it? Don't worry, I'm sure I've offset. Um, look, it's um, I don't I don't think you can build a business on Zoom at all. Um, and you know, we I've just spent a week with my team here, um, almost none of which I've met, um, and I've learnt more about them in you know having a drink with them after work um you know them taking the piss out of me vice versa than i have in three years of zoom uh, i just i think zoom's a wildly inefficient business or people that think they can um not not uh not get on a plane because of video again they shouldn't be getting international offices i think it's a hybrid situation isn't it lots of international businesses are trying to find the reasons to get on a plane and the reasons not if i could just go back to um some of the things that you mentioned warren in terms of the sort of six months of you know tough pitching and trying to understand those nuances and i think you said the pitches were too elaborate i think you said how did you yeah. get that feedback in that kind of market where potentially it sounds like they weren't terribly open in terms of feedback maybe Total trial and error, really was. I remember really vividly having dinner with Annabelle in Singapore, and we'd had a run of bad, you know, bad pitch um, uh, uh, feedback. I remember there was a moment where I think uh, there was a silence. And I think both of us were thinking the same thing, which is, is this thing going to work? Um, we just, we just didn't, and so we just we changed a few things, and we just thought. I think we we're a bit, a little bit more cavalier about our approach, which is like, it's fine. Let's just give them this. This is probably all they need. And, you know, it's certainly in, in Singapore seven years ago, PR was a pretty, um, pretty commoditized market um, and a relatively embryonic market in terms of the level of creativity that, you know, we used to um, in the UK. And, and you know, it, it's often when you're selling PR to, to marketeers or even business people rather than comms people, often they don't really care. They just, they just, it, they want something taken off their plate. And I think sometimes we love to elaborate what we're doing. Um, sometimes they, they just want something they can understand, very clear business outcomes. Um, and so that, that was one of the big, the big things that we, that we moved on and it was, it proved to be really successful. And um, you know, the, the other thing we then did when we started was hiring completely locally. I think, um, it sounds like Anushka and I've got similar setups in, in the U S where there's a bit more Britishness because I do think you need a, a bit more of that, but certainly in Singapore, we've, we've got a sort of 95 plus percent local, um, hiring policy um there's a lot of expat agencies over here which i think are quite you know quite generic um and probably do the zoom a lot to you know to communicate with colleagues and clients throughout the region but we are very very local here and the team are as a result very very good and really get you know singapore culture makes a lot of sense and in terms of that two-week notice period i mean that kind of you know that is challenging, isn't it? If you've got a week sometimes. Wow. For your senior people as well, your senior directors are on. No, no, I mean, obviously you can negotiate, but I feel, and I'm sure Warren will agree, you know, we're talking about what was normal in American born Manhattan agencies. You know, it was a week's notice. They can fire someone within a week and there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of accountability. I always say, you know, in America, it's an employer's market. 
And in the UK, it's an employee's market uh, from a legal standpoint. Um, we have basically adopted what we think is appropriate for the company in New York. And we've pretty much got the same notice periods as we have in the UK. Um, but therefore, the people that are joining us are joining us. And I'm sure it's the same with Warren. They're joining us because they're not in their mind. They're not joining. This is a massive advantage of having these offices, by the way. In their minds, they're not joining an office that is a New York PR agency. They're joining. I mean, it's a big word. <laughs> and I'd say it with trepidation. They're joining a global agency where, you know, they can learn about the Middle East through working at Bacchus because they might be doing an American campaign. You know, we've just been working on Habitas, which is open in the Middle East, but it's the American agency that runs that side of things. So, or they could be working with the British team um, or the European team. And so we've kind of put forward our culture to our American teams, both in New York and Miami. And I think they, honestly, when I interviewed the ladies from Miami, it was the most extraordinary thing. I had to interview them. I'd met them on Zoom. I had to interview them the day we were pitching and they'd all agreed to pitch with me. <laughs> and it was, wow. like, it was crazy, crazy. And when I was telling them, you know, and, and you know, we do what most decent British agencies do, you know, appropriate holidays, appropriate, you know, schemes and bonuses and all this thing. And as I was telling them, their eyes were like getting like saucers I was like, this is normal. So I, I, from what I know, and as, as Warren was saying, you know, people like Fergus from Purple or Nicola from Mission, you know, and Warren, I, I feel like we've, we've all kind of come to the States at least with um, what is a more workable and manageable offering for the staff? Is that not a really big competitive advantage? I mean, I know, you know, Warren, you were saying it's brutal competing against the sort of domestic agencies, but that's quite interesting, isn't it? That you can come in as a, you know, a, with a completely different kind of culture and a different way of treating people. It is. You, and you get some interesting people in. So there was a surprising amount of Anglophiles um, there, which which I didn't expect. Um and you do get a slightly different and, dare I say, better breed because they're slightly more sort of culturally curious. Um, and to build on Anishka's point, they they like the idea that we've got all these sort of international things going on. And we like to have this sort of lazy stereotype of Americans that they're so inwardly focused. And actually, I'm sure the ones that, you know, are working for W and, um, and Abacus are very, very, very international, very, very sophisticated. And actually, it's a really interesting labor pool. The only problem, though, from my, probably more from my point of view than from Anushka's is it's it's a really competitive landscape and a lot of like you know you, you can get a, a good uh, you, you know chunk of the labor market but the majority of it want want to work with big established agencies and certainly in in, in my bit of the pond we're you know we're not there yet and I'm not going to say we are and so that does make it more challenging yeah I mean we've we've gone to the point where and I, one thing that I'm obsessed with is getting everyone together much to my CFO's dismay. So, you know, we bring everyone over to the UK for the big Bacchus British summer party. And we bring them over from Dubai, from New York, from Miami. And it's so lovely. And they come over a couple of days earlier so they can hang out in the office and meet some strategic leads they've been collaborating with. Um, but that also really helps to get everybody in one room. It's not a cheap exercise, yeah, but I'm hoping long term it's a it's a good investment so just thinking about some of these other markets as well i was quite surprised what you said about amsterdam um warren in terms of that being a, a tough gig because there's so many brands that have opened global offices 
in Amsterdam as well. What do you think the kind of challenges there were? Um, we we had a bad partner there. Um, so I've... A partner agency, sorry. Yeah, we, we made an acquisition um, and with, with a partner that we'd been working with um, when we opened the W Hotel. And that, that didn't turn out to be the right person for us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So it took a little while to... Uh, undig ourselves from that by which time some of the momentum had gone um and we were it, it is a funny market and it's certainly not one that i was um uh i thought it would be easier to pick up international clients there um i have to admit i would agree i would have i would have expected that yeah yeah and look you know we've grown our business in many other places very successfully it just it just you know it didn't really fly there um i, I i'm not quite sure I, I think there's a lot of advertising business based there but less so comms business right. um i think we're under a lot of pressure from a number of partners that we have and so a lot of clients that open in germany um where that that feels really interesting and like there is a big requirement from brands who want the type of thing that us sort of british agencies do well um i'm just not sure the, the market in amsterdam is very 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 well serviced by you know all of the local agencies who are super talented um and then some of the networks so i think have probably done global deals and i, and I think a, a large independent probably is just the, the wrong size fit for, for that town but you never know until you open you know yeah. i never thought singapore would go as well as it has done um and you know we're now looking to sort of you know re- reopen our southeast asian network with offices in indonesia um, and malaysia wow. so exciting yeah 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 so but you've got to roll the dice a bit um and not be afraid to fail um that that's really the critical thing and be set up in a way that you, you, you can allow it to flex up and flex down so you don't open with big running costs immediately. Exactly. And Anushka, you've mentioned, I hope it's breaking news on the PR Week podcast, um, but you're opening in Miami or you have opened in Miami. Is that right? We have opened. So we have um, an incredible client, Ennismore, the hotel group, um, who we, we look after them globally. And um, they were like, okay, we want you to look after our properties in Miami. And I said, yeah, but at which point we can't do that from New York, we need people on the ground. And they said, yes, and you've got two weeks. I'm like, great. And I happened to be going on holiday there with the children and my husband. So I sort of broke it gently to my husband saying, I may have to do a little bit of work for a couple of days. 
He's like, but your office is in New York. I'm like, yeah, but I've just, and he, I'm the one that, I'm like the horse that bolts and my husband's the calm one. He's like, what are you up to? Anyway, so as I said, I'd interviewed these great ladies and um, I thought it was fantastic that they were happy to pitch having never sat in a room with me until that morning. And off we went. We knocked the socks off everyone, won the business. Um, and then we won the Towers of Waldorf Astoria, which is the most probably the most significant property development in New York right now. It's extraordinary. Um, and they wanted a very, very strong LATAM presence. And one of the ladies working for us in Miami has was based in Chile. She did PR for the Chilean Tourist Board. She has great connections in Mexico. So I started to think, actually, Miami could be great for several reasons. Half of New York's moved down there. So the, the market is booming on every level from a hospitality perspective. We have a lot of clients from Europe opening in Miami, um, especially, you know, a lot of F&B from London. But also over and above that, we could use it as our base for Latin American press. Now, obviously, we don't think of kind of being in the luxury business, you know, access to high net worth, converting high net worth to our brands is essential. And we don't think so much of the Latin market specifically in Europe, because, you know, we are lucky enough to have, you know, the Gulf market, the Indian market, the Asian market. But actually in America, it's really, really key. So we're going to use Miami as our uh, LATAM office and also service locally. And then there's going to be a lot of synergy from a production point of view. Charlotte, my partner, is already producing some enormous motor car show and a boat show because there's a, there are so many events that happen in Miami. So there's a sort of natural synergy. I'd like to come in at this point and ask about what's next. Warren, you mentioned um, elsewhere um, in Asia. Could you give us any more details on on that at the moment? Yeah, um, we are doing a lot of business uh, back into Malaysia. I mean, obviously they're attached, you know, by by bridge. Um, so a lot of our briefs are um, Malay, um, Singaporean briefs. Um, we did have an office in Kuala Lumpur, which we sort of shuttered at the start of lockdown. Um, we think we've got a largely due to not getting the right staff. It's notorious for having a, a, a talent problem. Uh, we think we've fixed that. So that's super likely. Um, there's a number of really great agencies out here, which I hugely admire, um, who have presence across uh, specifically Indonesia. Myanmar and um, Thailand, so I think they're natural places to go to. I think we, um, the I'd love to have more in the, in the overall APEC region, but I think looking to build out an owned an owned uh, office network within Southeast Asia is something that is, I think, um, strategically sound and and within our grasp. Um, and it's also one of the regions I love traveling the most. So uh, what's not to like? Yeah, makes sense. Um, is Australia of interest? That would seem like the next. Jumping point. It, you know what? It's not. It's it's miles away. I mean, it's it's so far away. I mean, I, I'm quite happy to jump on a plane. You could do a Zoom call not, for there, though, Warren, couldn't you? No, <laughs> I just involves a Zoom call, then I'm I'm out already. Um, it's a really well serviced um, uh, market. You know, there's some really great agencies there, and there's not that much money. So you know, and, and there's no one's ever asked us to be there. So if that changed, we would go. But I kind of like the idea of getting an invite. 
before before we go go anywhere. And I've not had one forthcoming from Australia yet. But I just I think it's a I think you have to be in that market to really do it. I've, I've got a great friend that I used to work with at Red years ago, who you might know, Frankie, called um, EJ Granley's, who runs an agency called History Will Be Kind, and she's killing it. But she's in market, and you know she's really driving it. And I think I'm, I'm sure Anushka will concur that you know. To, to, to get to the next level of growth with your international offices, whilst you have to have your your key lieutenants to be there and run it, as a founder, you've got to put in the hours as well. It's extraordinary. And one of the challenges that I'm actually considering over the next few days before we go back to school is, you know, it's that challenge of we've won some extraordinary business in the GCC recently. Um, I have amazing teams, but actually on these pieces of business because they're so large they need my brain on it as well and then you've got the new business driving for miami us gcc i think we can leave for a few months and and the main office and it's it's always challenging and you have to really think it through you know how much of my time am i going to give and especially somewhere like america i'd say gcc less so but america they want to meet the founder if they're going to be a, a big amount of money to you to service. Um, so yeah, I'm just sort of post pandemic off the zooms. We've picked up quite a few hotel clients that I've never visited. Um, so I'm just working out that, that sort of challenge, but I agree Warren, you know, and I think it's important for clients, future clients and the staff, as you said, you know, I did the same. I went to New York the minute you could travel to New York to meet all the staff I'd never met face to face. And we had a, a very amusing situation where when they're on Zoom calls, it's like, you know, it's literally as like they're about to be sentenced to something. <laughs> when I was in the office, I was watching them all having a laugh, giggling, gossiping. And I sat them all down. I said, you are the greatest bunch of people I've come across. You're more fun than the London office. So what's with the Zoom and the the, the kind of personality lobotomy? And they're like... <laughs> Well, we, we generally uh, like to communicate on text. I said, well, not in this agency. <laughs> so it's those kind of cultural things. And, you know, uh, you know, because we, we didn't have, you know, I keep telling my kids, we didn't have internet when we were growing up, so we had to learn to talk. It's those sort of things you can't do over Zoom. That's interesting. So they, they would text each other, what, be on WhatsApp or so forth. They wouldn't communicate via a Zoom call. I get this from a lot of the younger staff across the board that they prefer to email than call. Now, I appreciate you don't want to make 25 phone calls a day, but there are times where a phone call can clear something up in three minutes, whereas an email can go on for four days. Um, but I have had responses of, we're not comfortable calling. And, you know, obviously I'm a dinosaur, so I'm not going to say get on the phone all the time, but it, it's just teaching them the nuances of when a phone call is appropriate, when an email is fine, when a text is fine. But I don't think you can really be in communications if you can't present, uh, albeit electronically or face to face. And that was missing. And we had this chat and now I see them on calls and, you know, they're they're engaged and, you know, really much more commanding. But if I hadn't gone over there, I literally thought that the team in New York were the quietest mice that had ever been found. Good practitioners. Um, but you discover their personalities when you spend time with them. So, yeah, it's really important that as a founder, you spend time with your staff, your clients, your future clients. And in terms of other locations, um, Anushka, do you have your eye on any any country in particular, any market? I have been informed by uh, the more sensible people in my agency, and I think they're right. Um, we've got this trajectory, something that happened that I hadn't thought about 
was that by opening in New York, we suddenly won so much more business in Europe because the American clients that we had when they came to Europe wanted to work with us. I had never naively thought about the upside of having these offices. So now we've got this trajectory, which is going kind of US, UK, Europe, GCC, or the other way around. So for a lot of beauty products, they could be created in the Gulf, but they want to break America or American beauty products want to break the GCC. So actually, um, it's good to hear what you're up to, Warren. We should talk. Uh, yeah, you take APAC, I'll do the GCC. Um, but Exclusive uh, moment, uh, PR Week um, news there. So Strategic partnership. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're really old friends. But so I think actually, no, I see in the next five years, there's an opportunity to really consolidate the three additional offices. As I said, never to the same size as London. You know, we run all the social media from London. We don't need to have local teams on the ground for that. Um, We run a lot of the strategic work from London again, uh, and then we feed that to the local teams. But I think the potential clients that we could win in the markets, and then what's happening is we're winning clients for all three offices, or four offices, I should say now. So that's a really lovely place to be. I, I don't see us uh, expanding to Asia. Um, so there you go. There you go. Great. Well, thank you for that. Um, we're coming towards the end of this like really fascinating discussion. I think it feels like we could go on for a lot longer and over a few drinks and, um, you know, really, really continue this one. But um, sadly, we're only in, allowed in the studio for so long. So I wanted to ask, um, what two pieces of advice would you give other agencies looking to open overseas? Warren, what, what advice would you give? Um, I think you've got to have a reason to be there. Um, and like I said earlier, I, I think you need some sort of invitation. It could be a brilliant member of staff that just loves being out there. It could be a client. It, it's, I think you can't just sort of write a business plan and expect that to work and just go and plant a flag. So I think that's critical. And I think you've got to embrace failure, not be afraid to fail. And if you rush in and it, it, the current model doesn't work in that market, Keep going, you know, pivot, evolve, try another market. Um, and you've got as a founder, you've got to, you've got to get on the plane. You know, you you've just got to do it. And you've 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 got to enjoy the process. If you're not someone that likes getting out of the office and meeting people and traveling, I just I wouldn't, you know, I'd I'd stick to your Zoom calls. Okay, doke. Um Anushka. I think it's very important to approach new offices with humility, um, even if you're not naturally humble. Um, to not allow the market you're entering to realize necessarily your capabilities so you don't unsettle that market. I think a local partner or really strong local staff coupled with a trusted lieutenant is essential because, you know, people being based in London, you know, people come to open restaurants, beauty bars, whatever, and they're picking my brains all the time. I don't have personally that local knowledge of Manhattan or Miami or Dubai. So we've always made sure we've got really, really knowledgeable people on the ground that can advise us. For example, we're launching a non-alcoholic sparkling wine in the Gulf. And actually, our local uh, girls were saying, They'll never drink it. The, 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 it'll be expat only because it's in a wine bottle. And so it still looks like wine, even though it's non-alcoholic. So that's kind of insight I would never have thought of. Um, so I think, yeah, good local knowledge, great lieutenant and approaching with humility and just yeah, not rattling too many cages, being very respectful to the agencies that are there. We've been there for a long time. 
Um, and you never know. They might then send you business, etc. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you, uh, Warren Anushka, so much for, for your time and um, especially appropriate sort of, you know, seeing as you're both in far flung locations while we're recording this. And um, yeah, really appreciate it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So now let's turn to this week's top and flop. John, please do reveal this week's winner and loser. Okay. Well, for top, I'm going to have an honourable mention here, actually. It's one that um, I just noticed this morning. It's a campaign by um, Femtech brand uh, LV and PR agency Don't Cry Wolf. Um, you may have seen, obviously, Nottingham Carnival um, over the weekend. Alexandra Burke, um, the singer, recently gave birth, um, was pictured um, with some friends wearing breast pumps at the carnival. Um, really good, um, lively photos. And the issue um, was picked up by uh, a lot of different publications. It's in the Daily Mail, the Mirror. Um, it's on the BBC and ITV. Um, and it sparked lots of conversations. I basically just think this is a really good example of PR, you know, just getting the product out there, um, using a celebrity. Um, LV, it's the sort of femtech. You may not be very surprised. I'm not too clued up on the femtech market. And those days are slightly behind me too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I may no comment on that. But um, yeah, I just think this is good, good, solid PR. And it's good to have something, you know, away from the doom and gloom. Um, so talking of doom and gloom, our other top um, relates to uh, very serious issues um, in the country at the moment. Um, but we're going to make our top of the fortnight. Um, Emily Maitlis, former BBC journalist, caused a stir with her powerful speech at the Edinburgh International Television Festival last week when she alleged there was a BBC board member who is, uh, quote, an active agent of the Tory party who was um, shaping the broadcaster's output by acting as the arbiter of BBC impartiality, she said. Maitlis herself as was accused of being biased against the government at various points. There's a famous discussion of Dominic Cummings' lockdown trip to Barnard Castle, of course. Um, some critics have said Maitlis should have spoken up earlier, but you know we're here to measure communications ability and effectiveness. And on those grounds, I think this deserves to be top for its clarity um, and for making the point she wanted to make. Um, and in terms of the amount of coverage it received, because it certainly received a lot of coverage. Um, what do you think, Frankie? Are you impressed by Emily Maitlis? I thought it was an amazing speech. I thought how fantastic that she was given that platform at Edinburgh to to really platform what is now a very serious issue where we're dealing with populism and potentially using um, the idea of, you know, media impartiality, possibly in the wrong way, if it doesn't mean that we can actually then lead investigative, I always struggle with that word, investigative journalism, um, and actually just get on the right side of truth. Um, and I think that was her point. So I think really now it's about the legacy of that speech and and, and really what questions that will raise um, around journalism moving forward. But I, I thought it was extremely powerful. Great. Yeah. Um, so for flop, I'm afraid to say I'm going with Liz Truss. Now, I probably said before, we do what we can to avoid being too political on top and flop and choosing politicians because it's difficult to separate often the comms from the policies. And, you know, we really need to put our own political views on, on hold for this. And from a political point of view, there's a huge amount to criticise in Liz Truss, in my view, um, not least her lack of serious proposals for energy price rises, and uh, we could equally blame Rishi Sunak and perhaps most crucially Boris Johnson for these on that point. Um, also this week, pulling out an interview with Nick Robinson wasn't a great look, but you could argue as a comm strategy of sorts, 
it could be considered effective, the idea of avoiding scrutiny, although that's a very depressing way of looking at it, and I certainly wouldn't recommend it. Um, anyway, I mean, Truss's aim at the moment is not to be popular among the public, of course, but to win the votes of Conservative Party members, and polls suggest she's successful on that score. So the reason she's flop, in my view, is because of what she said about uh, French President Macron when she was asked um, if he's friend or foe, saying the jury's out. This was really a stupid thing to say. I don't know if this was just an ill-advised off-the-cuff remark or whether she was appealing to xenophobia among some Tory members. I couldn't really speculate on that. But when she does become Prime Minister, and it sounds very, very likely that she will, this will undoubtedly come back to haunt her in relations with our nearest neighbour on the continent. Macron had a good comeback, actually. I don't know if you saw this. Um, he said the UK remained a friendly nation and a strong ally for France, regardless of its leaders and sometimes of spite of its leaders and whatever little mistakes they may make in a speech from a soapbox. So there you go. Bit of a burn. Um, yeah. So what do you think of the comms coming from Liz Truss, Frankie, and the leadership generally? Leadership well, I think contest? I think the Macron point there, and actually even <laughs> highlights the Emily Maitlis speech, really, because we're, we're dealing with a campaign that's about populist headlines rather than necessarily any kind of examination of um, strategy and economic strategy. Um, you know, so obviously pulling out a BBC interview, I think, was quite concerning. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, again, kind of misplaced populist kind of headlines and and therefore kind of quite misjudged use of words around Macron. One One leads to the other, really, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.